0: cyberspace silicon valley
1: the san jose sharks presents tank talk the pinnacle of hockey podcasting for sharks fans so let's not waste any more bandwidth let's crank up tank talk now.
0: hello sharks fans i'm dan rusinowski welcome to tank talk and another edition of the sharks foundation show Today, we're talking about the grant process. A lot of people know that the Sharks Foundation provides lots of grants in the millions of dollars over the years to many well deserving organizations. Here to talk about that today with us is the Executive Director of Community Relations and the Sharks Foundation, Heather Hooper. Heather, give us an idea of how it all works.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me back, Dan. I really appreciate it. You're right, it is a really exciting time for the Sharks Foundation we have just closed our annual community assist grant cycle. And essentially a lot of people who maybe many of you who are listening today have wondered, how do nonprofits you know, get funded by the Sharks Foundation? How does the Sharks Foundation decide who to give funding to or who to partner with? And really it all comes down to our community assist grant cycle. Every year we open it up and it's an, essentially an open, open call for local nonprofits to apply for funding and we receive on average anywhere between 125 to 150 applications per year all from incredible nonprofits doing um, amazing work throughout the bay area.
0: I think one of the things that the Sharks Foundation discovers is how many amazing organizations are out there and how well deserving they are. Have you noticed that as, as as much as I have?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the hardest parts of my job is ever saying no to these funding requests because truly Every nonprofit, no matter what space they're doing work in truly is doing work for the betterment of our community. And when you read these applications and you hear about the work and the impact they're having. um, Again, it's very difficult to say no but you know for us. you know, we try with every nonprofit that applies for funding, we know we can't fund everyone as much as I wish we could. Um, But what we do is we keep the applicants on a running database throughout the year and throughout the season. And that way, if there are other opportunities that arise that maybe we weren't expecting, or that maybe it's for something aside from funding, maybe it's tickets to a game or a concert at SAP center, maybe it's bikes that we just built with a bike build in partnership with the team partner. Um, you know, it's been opportunities like backpack distributions. We've had. We always have opportunities that arise throughout the year, and when we have those opportunities, we reach out to the list of applicants uh, for that season first and foremost. And I would say about ninety percent of the applying nonprofits every year take us up on the opportunity um, to to you know accept some of these offerings and. Um, we find a lot of pride in that, that it may be no for funding, but it could be a great opportunity for something else.
0: We're going to get into that in the course of this podcast. And obviously, this is the time of the year when when people have to figure out exactly what to apply for and how to do it. And I thought I'd maybe go over that procedure. Probably the best place to go is to sharksfoundation.org because all of the directions are there. How do you do that?
1: Absolutely. So if you go to sharksfoundation.org uh, slash grant f- dash funding, you can learn all about our application process and see our grant criteria, etc. But what we do is we've broken it down into two different types of grants program grants and project grants. And essentially, program funding is to support. Um nonprofit work that happens annually, you know, whether it's an after-school program, mentorship programs, reading assistant, and you know, assistance, um, environmental sustainability, etc. These are ongoing programs that are the bread and butter of these nonprofits that are applying for funding with us. The second option is a project grant. And what that is, is it's typically an activation or a project that is a one-time thing. So um, any type of, as I mentioned before, bike builds, upgrades to existing structures or the creation of vans or utility vehicles that are going out and and servicing the nonprofits or the clients that, that, that the nonprofits serve, beautification or cleanup projects, Uh, playground builds, you know, backpack or clothing or food distributions, et cetera. So those are the two main avenues for applications that the Sharks Foundation offers.
0: I want to talk about a couple of those. The bike build is the one you've already mentioned twice. And that's obviously a really fun event for anybody who's even volunteering for the Sharks Foundation to actually uh, construct, manufacture uh, these bike kits that are provided to us. Uh, Why don't you go through that, what that's all about?
1: Yeah, so one of the, the things that we really pride ourselves at at the Sharks Foundation is that we never want nonprofits to just apply for funding. We send out checks and then we say, hey, see you next year when you apply again. We want the complete opposite of that. We want to build deep and meaningful relationships with each of the nonprofits that apply for funding and, and when we are able to provide funding to them. And, and one way that we have been able to do that really successfully is by providing additional support in the way of volunteerism, or activation or amplification of their platforms. So in this example, Turning Wheels for Kids is a nonprofit we've partnered with over the years and we are able to provide them with grant funding. And then we actually build the bikes together. So we bring out, you know, Sharks employees, we bring out a corporate partner and we make a volunteer day out of it. And, you know, from our perspective, um, we're not only able to, to then be a part of this, but then we're able to, then help uh allocate these bikes out to local nonprofits that we work with. And that kind of alludes to the, the Excel document I was talking about earlier that we reference and, and access throughout the year to provide people with different opportunities. Um, but that volunteerism piece, you know, then we're we're creating a recap video and we're posting on social media and we're talking about this partnership. And that also helps from the perspective of we're, we're uh, you're really vouching for this nonprofit. We are providing them with our social platform and maybe fans of the sharks then are seeing us partner with this nonprofit and say, you know, what, I don't know what that nonprofit does. I'm going to go to their website and I'm going to read more. Maybe I'll sign up. Maybe I'll make a donation. Maybe I'll you know, inquire about becoming a volunteer and and sign up for their newsletter to hear about future bike builds so that I can participate in that. And, and again, that's something that we, we try to really find ways that we can create these, these deep and meaningful and long lasting relationships.
0: All of that comes from priorities. And obviously uh, you can fund anything and anybody if you choose, but obviously the Sharks Foundation has selected a few funding priorities that are very important to the organization. Why don't you go through a couple of those?
1: Yeah, well our mission is to enhance the lives of underserved youth and families in our community in the areas of education, health and safety, and character development. And so essentially we're looking for nonprofits that are doing work in that space and supporting youth and families, um, specifically at risk and underserved communities and um, you know we, we try to find again nonprofits that um, our public 501c3s, they're in good standing with the IRS. They've been in existence for at least three years. They provide services within the San Francisco Bay Area um, and, and are also looking for that partnership with us. You know, we want to be able to work together and really make an impact. And so we, our priorities are finding nonprofits that, that have an interest in doing that with us.
0: And and the priorities have changed a little bit over the course of the year since the Sharks Foundation was was originally uh, formulated. The original charter said basically Santa Clara County only, but that's expanded a little bit, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, we're really proud to talk about the fact that this last season we made the switch uh, to expand it to the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, As you mentioned, Dan, we used to have a rule that 51% or more of the funding that we give any nonprofit had to stay within Santa Clara County and we now um, are saying that that money needs to stay in the Bay Area. Um, You know, with the pandemic and everything we've seen over the last 18 months. The need is great everywhere, but we we just knew that we could make p- potentially a bigger impact if we expanded our geographic giving footprint and are really proud to to have been able to make that switch and look forward to the, the uh, work we can do this next season.
0: Isn't it also recognizing essentially that uh, that the Bay Area is interconnected between the nine counties that we have?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, we also have the Sharks Ice facilities across the Bay, you know, Fremont, San Jose and Oakland. And so not only is this SAP Center's community and Sharks Territory uh, really expands all the way up to to Oakland. And and we want to make sure that those communities that we are operating in and that our employees work and live in, um, that that we're supporting those communities just as strongly as we do in, in San Jose.
0: It's great to have Heather Hooper, the Director of Community Relations and the Sharks Foundation with us today. And, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about uh, about sponsors and people that have been involved with the, with the Sharks Foundation that underwrite some of these programs. Why don't you give us an idea of who some of those people are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're so lucky to have fantastic team partners of the Sharks who really share in our vision of giving back. And, you know, there's a number of, of uh, organizations that come to top of mind, but one of which is... SAP, who is the name rights partner of our building, and as part of that, we have um, a, a commitment to allocating money back into the community every year together. And so we find projects where we are vision sharing and are able to make an impact in the community. Um, another partner that we worked really close, we work really closely with is Kaiser Permanente, and you know they're the annual partner of our Hockey Fights Cancer campaign and many of our healthy living initiatives and. Um, just really, again, having such a strong impact individually in their philanthropic efforts, but then when we're able to partner, it, it doubles the impact. And, you know, we, we've partnered with Western Digital and Druva and, you know, the Soprata organization. And there's just, again, these are just a few that, um, you know, when you sit down and you talk about uh, people that are making a difference in the community from a philanthropic standpoint, um, those are dream partners of ours, right? And so, um, you know, we're, we're just such a, we're so honored to be able to, to really again, sit down, share what our visions are and find projects that make sense for us to partner on.
0: The types of programs that the Sharks Foundation funds through this grant process include things like mentorship opportunities, um, uh, sustainability in the environment, after-school programs, and, and just the opportunity also to, to get a good, uh, shall we say, uh, influence from, from people uh, that are underserved. Uh, you personally, do you have any any ones that, that favorite events over the last couple of years that that come to mind for you?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, I have so many, Dan. It's such a tricky question because um, I, I feel like my job is never a job. But it doesn't feel like work. Um, and I, I get to be able to, to get to know these nonprofits and, their staffs and the individuals that benefit from these, these groups. And so um, a few obviously are the make a wish fulfillments that we've been able to partner on. Those have been so impactful and so powerful. Um, You know, there's a nonprofit called love twice, uh, which is based out of Oakland. And what they do is they provide new and gently used baby clothing to um, parents that are in the first year of being parents and, um, they, they really help take that stress off of needing to find clothing for their their children. And it's just such an impactful um, and powerful opportunity for us to, to support um, a nonprofit that the founder is the executive director, is also the person who's picking up the infant clothing and delivering the infant clothing and truly um, operating on shoestring budgets so that the impact can be focused on and the financials can be, um, you know, straight out into the community. And so, gosh, I I, I can give those few examples, but I, I can never say I have a favorite because there are just so many incredible groups in the Bay Area doing important work. And um, you know, we we've been able to partner with the African American Community Services Agency um, the past few years, and I'm just so impressed by. Their executive director of Milan and the entire team over there. And, um, you know, one thing that's so impressive about them is they had existing programs pre-COVID that were running so smoothly and efficiently. And then COVID hit and they needed to pivot almost entirely. And they were able to do that. But the African-American Community Services Agency just truly pivoted from um, what they were doing pre-COVID into identifying the greatest needs in the community and completely switching what they were doing to, to service uh, our community members. And it's just so impressive when nonprofits are able to do that. And um, these are truly people that are boots on the ground that are making a difference in our community. And from the Sharks Foundation perspective, you know it's such an honor to be able to support them. Again, not only with the financial component, but the volunteerism with the amplification to just share their message. And it's just, it spreads such positivity across the Bay area.
0: One thing also that's an important part of this has got to be education. The Sharks Foundation, very, very supportive of a variety of educational programs, but it's not just about learning how to read. It's also about learning what special talent uh, some of these underserved people has.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have so many different nonprofits that we work with that, Um, that are just doing exceptional work in the education space, whether it's providing coding and STEM opportunities to um, providing support for individuals that didn't see themselves going to college because they didn't know that that was an option for them financially or, you know, pre-K programs all the way up to, to college level, Um, The education space uh, is just something that is really helping to create and craft and support the next generation. And it's something that a lot of our supporters can get behind um, and corporate partners uh, really prioritize. And um, so that's, that's definitely an area of focus for us at the foundation.
0: As we go along on this show, we can tell people that the grant application process has just concluded, and now comes the time when the real work starts, and that's, of course, the review process. I've been part of this for a number of years, and I find it really, really fascinating because I'm still amazed at how many great organizations are applying, but uh, give us an idea uh, from your view exactly... Uh, what you're supposed to do when you're reviewing the process and, and, and how that's successfully accomplished to whittle things down to where we can apply some grants.
1: Absolutely. So what we do when all of these applications, so I mentioned earlier, we had 135 applications submitted this year. When those applications come in, we're essentially dividing them into focal areas. So we have 10 different focal areas. And I'll list those here, Latin and Hispanic heritage, healthy living, hockey fights cancer, holiday assist, education, black history, gender equality, environmental awareness, Asian and Pacific Islander heritage and pride. And when those applications are coming in, essentially we're grouping the like focal area nonprofits together. And so we then have grant readers uh, throughout the Sharks organization, and the Sharks Foundation staff and board members. And each of those are are then kind of put on a subcommittee to read specific focal areas of grants. So for instance, Dan, you may read all of the education-related grants. And when you're reading those, you then are able to, you know, kind of compare education-related grant applications from one to the other. One thing we found when we didn't review grants this way is it was really difficult for us to put a, an incredible nonprofit like San Jose Jazz, right? Doing incredible work in the art space against a nonprofit like the Ronald McDonald House who is working with, you know, youth that are facing very serious health challenges because it just tugs at your heartstrings, just a little bit different, right? Kind of depending on what your history is, what your background is. You know, most of the time, if you're dealing with a life or death illness um, versus, you know, an extracurricular activity, people would read those those Ronald McDonald House grants and say, oh, that's the one I want to fund. So to avoid that, we wanted to put them in the subcategories with like nonprofits, because then we're getting a good cross section when these grant review committees are reviewing these grants. Then we're pushing you know, forward every single, you know, all 10 of these categories will then have representation at the end of the review process. You know, what we're looking for as we're reading these grants is that again, nonprofits are, are making an impact, that they are well and efficiently run, that they want to have a, a deep and meaningful relationship with us and are able to create an activation. Um, around the grant giving, or that they're able to participate locally, um, and that you know we'll be able to to again beyond the financials, you know ha- create something really meaningful with them. Um, and you know we want to see budgets. We want to see that you know the the executive director is not getting paid a, an absorbent amount of money. We want to you know re- really dive into making sure that these nonprofits are are really responsible. Um, and all most of them are, right? I, I we we very rarely ever see situations where they're not. But um it's incumbent about us to make sure that these are these are facts that we're we're looking into and we're checking in because we you know, are a self-run nonprofit in the sense they're a foundation in the sense that we raise all of the money that we're then putting out into the community. And so we owe it to our donors and our partners to vet each nonprofit and make sure that they are doing the work that they're applying for and that they're going to spend the money uh, reasonably and responsibly. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a long process, but as you mentioned, um, you learn so much. Um, it's so impressive when you see again, all of these nonprofits that have identified needs in our community and are working to better the lives of others, whether the people that they know or strangers on the street. Um, These are people who are so dedicated to making the Bay Area the best place it could possibly be. And so it's so inspiring. As I mentioned earlier, it's so hard to make the decisions. But we know that at the end of this review process, we, we truly can make a difference. And on average, pre-COVID, of course, we um, give about 1.5 million dollars in cash grants out to local nonprofits, and um, again, that's something that we are we're incredibly <laughs> proud of, and um, it's a true testament to the work that these great and phenomenal groups are doing.
0: The Sharks Foundation provides grants up to 200 thousand dollars, but there's a, you know to each organization that applies, that'd probably be the maximum that's listed currently. Um, whether that'd be for that'd be that'd be a pretty major project, but uh, one thing that I can attest to is that that vetting process that we're talking about is pretty intense. We've had uh, either Sharks Foundation board members such as myself or young professionals uh, that, that are part of our organization that, that help with that. And so these are people in the community that I, I think have really helped the nonprofits um, showcase their accountability a lot better. And I can't tell you how many times I, I've met people that have received grants from the Sharks Foundation that said that we helped their organization in that reporting procedure through the application process, so shouldn't uh, shouldn't an organization see this as an opportunity not only to uh, potentially apply for some funding, but also to um, you know to to review all of their procedures and and let the public know what they're doing?
1: For sure, yeah, you know we're we're reviewing so many different things in the application process. It's we ask that nonprofits submit not only a narrative, you know, what they're asking for money to support, but also, you know, the list of your board members and your financials. And, you know, we're asking what percentage of your board and staff um, is represented through, you know, the BIPOC community or women, or we're, you know, we're trying to ensure that organizations um, understand that this is of importance to us, right? We ask about impact numbers, you know, how many lives will this money you know impact and you know it i think it helps to have nonprofits be thinking a little bit more strategically and um maybe asking the questions that they haven't been asked before right um you know i think it seems in all in all my years in this industry i've seen a huge change in that um, it used to be a faux pas, right to ask a nonprofit, well, what's the the ROI, right? What's the return on investment when a foundation makes a financial commitment to you? Um, and I think that the that's changing. I think it's about accountability and responsibility and sustainability. And foundations that are giving money out, they want to see that their money is going to go to a great cause and that it's going to go to you know a strategic you know supported by a strategic plan and they want to see that um the money is going to be be used in um impactful ways and um you know we want to to ensure again for our donors' sake for our you know team's sake that the money that that we're giving out is is going to be impactful and um so i think that this process has helped a lot of the times too we we'll provide feedback to nonprofits that have applied and maybe didn't get picked because they had not, you know, listened to the requirements that we had asked for online or they, if, if a nonprofit has really missed the mark on their application, we'll provide uh, feedback to them from the, the grant review committees. And that's something again, that we've done over the course of the years. And we've seen then the next year, their application has improved drastically. And so we're, we're grateful to be able to help them out in that regard. Um, but one of the biggest misconceptions is that, you know, if a nonprofit doesn't get funded, they say, "Well, what was our, what was wrong with their application? What could we do differently?" And and honestly, most of the time, we say there was absolutely nothing wrong with your application—not one grammatical mistake even—and it's just that the competition for this process is so steep, and there's so many incredible nonprofits that it makes our job really tough. Um, so we say, "Don't change a thing; just you know, continue to apply because." you know, our priorities may shift our, you know, the application process shifts a little bit every year. And, and um, we, we, again, try to find ways that we can support these nonprofits beyond the financials every season.
0: And in a sense, that's kind of the direction the Sharks Foundation is going, slightly even away from individual grants, although those are obviously still available. But Mm -hmm. uh, maybe an organization doesn't qualify for a grant, or maybe they qualify, but but they just don't get one in a particular year. But then there are opportunities such as, say, uh, the Goals for Kids program or the 50-50 raffle or Mm -hmm. several other programs like that. Uh, Don't you think that that's been a, a beneficial way to sort of Vet other organizations further and give them an opportunity to to show a little bit more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, when we're reading these grants, we're, you know, as you said, it's such an extensive process. And as we're reading them, we kind of have an idea for the next season what types of opportunities are on the table to raise funding. And oftentimes we will name beneficiaries of, as you mentioned, 50 50 raffles or our mystery puck sales or specialty auctions or events and our Goals for Kids program. And a lot of that, it's 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 all based on the right fit, and um, you know we're looking at what the requests are and how much a nonprofit is requesting, or maybe what type of work they're doing, you know, based on the budgets they submit, and you know if a nonprofit is, you know, really has a need for a a ten thousand dollar donation to cover an entire program, well, maybe they would be a great fit for a specialty option. Um, we kind of know based on averages of our fundraising opportunities, you know, what the nonprofits would be a good fit for from a beneficiary standpoint. So um, a lot of the work, you know, once the applications are submitted, there's a lot of work then on the staff and board and, and grant readers perspective to then find, again, it's like this big puzzle piece um, of, of how we can name beneficiaries and where we can name them to make sure that it's um, going to be beneficial for, for them as well.
0: All of that, Heather, can really get uh, very, very daunting when it comes to the challenges during the course of a hockey season. But I think that's probably why we've set up with the Sharks Foundation the, the, the organized campaign months. So and I'll give you an example. Hockey Fights Cancer Month is one that's been a big part of the, uh, the team and the NHL for a long, long time. And usually that's in the month of November. It all started out uh, as a simple fundraiser that somebody wanted to do for breast cancer. And then it, it, it got bigger and bigger and more important. And now Hockey Fights Cancer Month is, is a huge thing. So let's say uh, during that month, we have a 50-50 raffle. And by the way, for those of you who don't know what a 50-50 raffle is, raffle tickets are sold at SAP Center to the fan base that are at the game. And 50% of that goes toward the charity or the nonprofit that's uh, that's involved that particular night. And then 50% of it is going to a, a cash prize that's uh, handed out to somebody that's at the game that night which is really really exciting. Yeah. So it took it took a little while to get that going but the idea is that uh, cancer related patient care for instance uh, that, that happens if you've applied to the Sharks Foundation, perhaps you might have a night to not only get funding but take part in something that's really fun, the 50/50 draw and the 50/50 raffle yeah. and get tremendous exposure for the organization I mean how many times have you heard, People say that uh, they come up to a a, a 50-50 table and not really know much about the organization and want to find out more after it's over.
1: Absolutely. And I will share one story that literally gives me chills anytime I share it. But during our first season of allowing the 50-50 raffle, we have kiosks which highlight who the beneficiary is that night. And on this particular night, it was the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And a gentleman was in line, He was purchasing his tickets and another gentleman came in line behind him and was ready to purchase and they got to talking. And the gentleman at the back of the line said, oh, well, you know, I've never participated in the 50-50 raffle before, but I wanted to because I actually am a big supporter of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And the first gentleman said, oh, really, you know, me too. That's actually why I stopped as well. And second, second gentleman said, well, I actually am. Uh, a survivor of um, the treatment that was, you know, funded by LLS. And the other gentleman said, oh, really, what treatment is that? And they got to talking and it turns out that the first gentleman in line was a researcher and it actually worked on the type of treatment that the second gentleman was cured through. And, they were literally oh. hugging and there were tears on the concourse and it just, it, you know, there's no better example of how philanthropy and giving back can really draw people together. Um, and, you know, that story again, just is a, a pure example of the impact that not only sports can have, but also, you know, what, what being able as a sports team, you know, to, to support these nonprofits can, can really do.
0: December is holiday assist month, and that's a a different tack entirely. It's not uh, raising funds to do research on diseases. It's actually going out in the community and providing direct assistance to people who really need it. And to me, that's one of the most uh, fulfilling types of events and months that we have with the Sharks Foundation and the players get involved. And uh, there's a whole tassel of activity that happens. Uh, Don't you think that, that even in a place as, uh, shall we say wealthy or as well off as the Bay Area? Uh, it's shocking how how many people are in dire need right within our community.
1: It is. There's such a gap. There's just um, it's it's pretty unbelievable uh, the the disparity between you know the the rich and affluent that are in the Bay Area and those that are in greatest need in our community and. Um, you know through december through our holiday assist month we're really focusing on basic human services and whether that's food or clothing or shelter or holiday programs you know our annual holiday assist program that um, an event that's been going on for for nearly 20 years um you know we we see the needs in the community we see that that's a time of year when people real really do want to make a difference and whether that's you know, buying a mystery puck on the concourse for $30 and knowing that a large portion of that is is going to the Sharks Foundation and that we're giving that out through our community assist grant process um, or whether it's a food distribution event or, you know, we've done, you know, collection drives at the games and people are donating uh, clothing or financials. And, it, you know, it's just, it's such a special time of year but it also highlights um, you know, that that there are so many people that don't have extras, right? There are so many kids who don't have presents under a tree, let alone a tree, right? So, um, you know, it it really is um, a special time when we, as an organization, can get involved in providing people with those things that we so often take for granted, right, a nice warm Thanksgiving, you know, gifts under the tree or, or that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's something that we can we can really step in and hopefully make a difference and make the that time of year special for others.
0: We also take for granted that everybody's going to treat everybody well, and that's not always the case in our community. And part of what the Sharks Foundation has tried to do in their campaign months is to sort of focus on some of those things. I know that we have a Teal for Change podcast that, uh, that discusses uh, some of the issues involving race. And Black History Month in February is something that we try to celebrate. And, you know, people shouldn't feel offended by, by any of that or, or, or challenged or, or uh, uh, shall we say, uh, um, singled out. What, what it all it is seems to be is, is part of the hockey is for everyone campaign that we're welcoming everybody and that we want to make sure that everybody feels welcome when they come to, not only to SAP Center, but when they live in our community. And, and don't you think that, that that's been embraced by by most of the players and, and certainly by everybody in the Sharks Foundation?
1: Absolutely. I mean, our, our organization as a whole um, has really embraced this. And, you know, we want to make the sport of hockey our organization and our community more diverse and inclusive and and make sure that people know that that hockey truly is for everyone. Um, I think when you look at the product on the ice, um, it is predominantly a white man sport, you know, straight, cisgender, white man sport. And and. I think that we're, we're doing so much at the grassroots level to try and change that so that um, people can see themselves and see themselves represented in our sport, whether they're female, whether they're bisexual, whether they're homosexual, whether they're, you know, Black, Asian, you know, Hispanic, whatever, whoever you are, and, and however you've been brought up, you belong in our sport. And Um, You know, there's obviously a lot of work to do there, but I'm so proud of the way that our organization um, continues to fight for justice and equality and diversity. And, um, you know, there's just, um, there's so much uh, that that we can do, again, from a financial support support perspective, whether we're giving grants out to LGBTQ plus uh, nonprofits or whether we're supporting, you know, nonprofits across the Bay Area doing work for gender equality or black history or Asian Pacific Island or heritage, you know, there's, there's so much work that we can do and, and identifying these groups and identifying ways that we can help them um, is a huge priority for us.
0: And obviously that, that would help them to think of, uh, of the sport of hockey as a place to bring other people together. You know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Gender Equality Month. I think one of the coolest things that, that that we've done over the course of the last few years in the sport of hockey is uh, is get involved in empowering young women to play the sport and uh, you know to coach the sport and to get involved in in uh, being the best that they can be. Um, hockey is a sport that seems to engender a lot of that. And it seems that you know I talked to some of the guys that played in the NHL that actually uh, coach young girls, and they say they have more fun coaching them because they actually listen. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um you know, representation is just such a big component, right? We were so lucky to have Kendall Coyne Schofield on our broadcasts for so many games. Um, and I think hearing a woman um, talk about the sport, and she's so educated and knowledgeable about it and impassioned. And that's so inspiring, you know, to every little girl out there that maybe hadn't tried hockey, or that is a hockey player they see themselves in the sport because of somebody like Kendall or, you know, any of the, the players that are at her, at her level that are also changing the the course of, of inspiration for, for young girls. Um, And and I, it's just, it's incredible. I think that there's a lot of change going on. I think we have leaders at the NHL level um, that are female that are again, changing the course of, of what maybe the NHL has looked like historically and, um, you know it's such a such a powerful powerful thing, and and I'm excited to see what happens in the future as well because um, the sport is just it's so exciting. Hockey is one of those sports that if you've never been to a game and you come to a game, and you don't know anything about the sport. You're you're hooked almost immediately. The energy in the building and. The passion of the fans sitting around you, and people's willingness to explain a rule, or you know whatever um, you may not know about the sport, people are are willing to help and and are, are excited to share their passion of the sport with you. And um, I think that all ties back to hockey being for everyone, right? Because it is something that even if you've never played. You're, you know, whatever your background is, however you grew up um, there, you belong as part of our, our team in Shrek's territory. And um, it's just, it's pretty incredible.
0: No sport or no uh, businesses without any difficulties, but I can say that over the course of time, I felt that hockey was the most inclusive of all of them. To me, that makes the world a better place. It makes our, our community a better place. W- where do you think that this is going?
1: Yeah, well, we have from a Sharks perspective, we have so many incredible programs that we offer that really are to your point, Dan, trying to remove the barriers of entry for individuals that have either never played the sport but have an interest in it or maybe tried it one time and you know, didn't have the equipment or what what have you. So we're we're we have programs like learn to skate and learn to play. Um, you know, we have opportunities for Individuals to have scholarships that support their continuation of play. We also have off ice uh, programs where we're out in the community and we are teaching about floor hockey, ball hockey, um, broom, you know, broom ball. There's so many different ways that you can get a stick in your hand and not necessarily need the ice or all of the equipment and um, the, you know, the more expensive portions of the sport. Um, but the, those are programs, you know, our stick to fitness program is out in the community and and really working with individuals and kids that have never played before, maybe never even watched hockey. And, you know, I tell you when you're out at those events and, uh, you know, we do our, our teal top street hockey courts, it's seeing kids out there. It's like this passion and, and all of a sudden they're, they're at, you know, 11, 12 years old being introduced to this brand new sport um, and they pick it up so quickly. Um, it's like this light is on them and they're just so excited to finally go home and they can tell all their friends about it and their family members and teach them what they learned and share that knowledge. And they're watching games and, you know, it's, it's just, it's fun to see kind of that domino effect, right? Um, a lot of it is just having access to it. And then once you have that access, you fall in love, just like all of us did with hockey at the very beginning. And, um, you know, that's something that, is a huge priority to us uh, because we realize across the Bay that not everyone can afford a full set of equipment or ice time, or you know, uh, maybe their parents um, can't drive them to an ice facility. And so how can we make the sport more accessible no matter what your financial situation is, no matter if you know you have a, a ride to an ice facility, um, let's get kids the opportunity to play at school or their after-school center or play at home. Um, and, and those are those are things that we're working on each and every day um, to make sure that that hockey continues to be a, a beloved sport.
0: Well, I couldn't put it any better than that. I mean, basically, you go to uh, sharksfoundation.org and you go through the procedure of applying. That application procedure usually ends in early to mid June in the summer months. The uh, the programs get vetted and uh, we start to narrow things down as to which programs deserve funding and which programs should be part of a specialty program. But it's also, on the flip side, an important opportunity for the players to get reminded of where they came from in many cases, but also a reminder of the great privilege that they have to play in the NHL and the responsibility that goes with it. Haven't you noticed that, that the players in general respond very positively to, to that realization?
1: Absolutely, um, our players are are so good and and so passionate about getting involved in the community and giving back. And you know, it's 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 fun because we get to know them and their interests. And just like any one of us, they have particular causes that they want to focus on, or maybe are closer or near and dear to their hearts. And then we, as a team, you know, the community side, we try to to Uh, attach them or, or introduce them to opportunities within that focal area. You know, we do a lot of the vetting and, um, we'll, you know, work with the players to make sure that, you know, some guys are more comfortable speaking in public. Others want to maybe go and do a one-on-one hospital visit. Others, you know, don't necessarily want to do, Uh, public speaking engagement but they would be willing to go and read to uh, a group of preschoolers right so every player has different interests and um, that's that's the beauty of it right we don't want all the players to want to do the exact same opportunities because then we wouldn't have enough players to do all the opportunities we need and so um you know that's such a fun part is then introducing them to the chance and, and the event and allowing them to go out there, and, and they thrive in these situations. I mean, we just had Matt Nieto read uh, a Dr. Seuss book a few weeks ago during a digital reading party, and um, he had so much fun participating in that, and the kids that were on the, the reading party digitally loved seeing him read the book, and um, it, it forms these, these connections and bonds, and, you know, as somebody whose entire career was inspired by meeting a professional athlete at a young age, you you never know, you know how big of an impact these types of visits or these activations can have on individuals that are in the community. Um, and oftentimes, you know, our players will say, you know, I thank you for allowing me to come out here to your nonprofit or to to come and visit you in the hospital. Or you know, they're um, equally as grateful for the opportunity because they realize they have such a unique platform as a professional athlete and when you can use that in a positive way you know it's it's pretty miraculous and amazing what can happen and and our players are so good about the awareness of that and are so passionate about giving back whether it's financially or with their time Um, and you know it's it's um, it's something that makes the Sharks organization uh, one of the greatest there is.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things, too, that comes to mind for me is that time is worth almost as much as money, sometimes more. And one of the things that inspired me, I saw Evander Kane go coach a bunch of um, inner city and underserved youth in in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And how many people never believed that they'd be able to get that close to a National Hockey League star player of Evander's status? And then these were young kids that really looked up to him and you could just see the influence that he was having and also how much uh, how much he enjoyed it.
1: For sure, for sure. I think it brings them back, as you mentioned earlier, to their childhood days, right? And they realize, they think back to that time when they were seven or eight years old, and what if their, you know, during one of their practices, a professional athlete had come and talked to them and given them some tips and how meaningful and special that would have been. Um, And you're right, Dan, I think that the time um, is equally as important, sometimes, you know, more important than the financial component. Um, and, And these athletes, really do. I mean, when you look at their schedules and, you know, you see how much they're traveling and on the road during a normal season, they have very little free time. And the fact that on their off days, and on the the one day off a week that they get, or even if it is one day off a week, sometimes it's one day off in a two week period of time. Or they had practice in the morning and they have a free afternoon, and they're coming out to a community event. Um, it shows you that they truly do want to give back, and they see that as a priority. And that starts with. Passo Plotner setting the example there, and Doug Wilson is one of the most supportive individuals of the community work we do. And, you know, on down to Jonathan Becker and, you know, everybody within the organization is so supportive of the players getting out and doing work in the community. Um, it makes my job uh, even better and um, just so grateful again to be a part of this organization.
0: Any final thoughts you have or any message you'd like to have to, uh, to give to people that are considering applying for grants?
1: Yeah, again, we we have all the information on our grant application cycle at Sharks Foundation. Uh, dot org slash grant dash funding. So if there's um, any questions that we didn't talk about today, the information should be there. Um, we encourage all local nonprofits doing work in the Bay Area within one of our 10 focal areas to apply. And we look forward to, to seeing the work that you're doing. And, and uh, thank you for being so committed to making the Bay Area the best it can be.
0: That's what it's all about. Heather, thanks for your time today.
1: Thanks, Dan. Have a good one.
0: Our guest is the Director of Community Relations and the Sharks Foundation, Heather Hooper. Thanks for joining us on this podcast.